Good morning, friends. Today we're going to continue our little journey through Jonah, and I'm going to call this message just three more days. We're picking up in chapter 3, verse 3, where God calls Nineveh a very large city. Literally, the Hebrew text says that Nineveh was a great city to God. But how could that be? They didn't believe in God. They didn't know God. They worshipped idols. Nineveh was a city given over to greed and immorality and bloodthirsty violence. The people knew nothing about the God of the Bible. They were an extremely cruel people, and God said, that city is great to me. And you know what, friends? That great city is still in God's heart. You know, God loves the great cities of the world. That's important because, you know, today more people live in cities than in rural areas. I mean, for a long time, for thousands of years, the rural population outnumbered the urban population, but no longer. Today, more people live in cities than on farms or small towns or rural villages. And so we have to remember that cities are important. Way back in 1903, a man by the name of Frank North penned a hymn about the frantic pace of people who live in the city. It's called, Where Cross the Crowded Ways of Life. The very first verse says, Where cross the crowded ways of life, where sound the cries of race and clan, above the noise of selfish strife, we hear your voice, O son of man. So yes, God cares about the great cities of the world. He cares about all of these uh, mega cities with teeming millions of people, like Mexico City or Tokyo or Manila or Beijing or places like Dhaka or Port-au-Prince or Moscow. You go on and on. You know, if we have a heart, if we have God's heart, we're going to care about those cities as well. Nineveh was a place where no reasonable God would go, but being reasonable has nothing to do with it. Our God has a heart bigger than all our reasonable calculations. He loves the city, and his heart goes out to those who want nothing to do with him. And so it is, in verses 3 and 4, Jonah ends up in Nineveh. The text says it took three days to go through it. Now, that might mean it took uh, three days to walk through every part of it, or that it took three days to walk all the way around it. Now, everyone agrees that Nineveh is a pretty big city in the ancient world, but there's some debate about just how big it was. It's kind of like asking, what's the population of New York City? <clears throat> well, do you mean Manhattan, or do you mean Queens, or Brooklyn, or Yonkers, or all those boroughs added together, or do you mean the greater metropolitan area? Because you'll get a different answer for each question. Scholars tell us that, like modern cities, Today, Greater Nineveh probably included a number of what we might call suburbs or even the, some of the nearby towns. If you take the whole area into consideration, Nineveh, according to some scholars, may have been home to maybe 600,000 people, which would have been a pretty big city in that day. <clears throat> so Jonah goes and begins to preach in this pagan, pagan city. His message is pretty simple. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's pretty short and to the point. That's it. That's his whole message. It's eight words in English. It's only four words in Hebrew. Now, to be honest, and those of you who know me, I've never preached an eight-word message in my life. And as many of you will attest, I can go on for a while. But I probably could never do what Jonah did. I mean, eight words, 40 more days in Nineveh will be overthrown. That's a pretty depressing message if you ask me. There's none of this God loves Nineveh or Nineveh for Jesus or say yes, Nineveh. It's a message of impending judgment and nothing more. Now, can you imagine how it must have been? Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 
And people probably said, well, he's not from around here, you know. Or 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Well, he's got a strange accent. Or 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. You know, he sure smells like fish. Well, let's be honest, it's not the way we'd do it. If we were going to put together a Nineveh for Jesus campaign, we'd probably hire an advanced team, get a PR man, put together an ad campaign, buy billboards, do social media, start a Facebook page, get our Twitter team going, make some Nineveh for Jesus t-shirts, do some training, set up buses, train counselors, rent a stadium, buy some TV time, recruit some more counselors, print the follow-up materials, set up the home prayer meetings, arrange for simultaneous translations, rehearse the big choir, and organize Operation uh, Nineveh. And we'd have to raise probably three or four million just to get started. But Jonah just went to Nineveh and gave his entirely negative eight-word sermon. You see, he just skipped all of that stuff. He just went to Nineveh and preached. Now, you wouldn't think it would have much chance of success. I mean, you could almost imagine the conversation. Uh, So what's your plan for reaching Nineveh? Oh, we're sending Jonah. Who else? No one. What's he going to do? He's going to walk around and preach an eight-word sermon. What's the eight-word sermon? Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Uh, Do you have a plan B? (laughs) No, there's no plan B. This is it. Now, by the way, why do you suppose Jonah focused on the coming judgment? I think it's because that's all he cared about. He hoped Nineveh would be destroyed. He'd be happy if it happened in 40 days. Now, say what you will. No one could ever accuse Jonah of being a preacher of cheap grace. He was a hard-nosed preacher of God's judgment who would be happy to see if it came true 40 days down the line. When you stand back and think about it, this doesn't seem like a very promising evangelistic approach. But underlying it was a truth that Jonah himself didn't really understand. And it's this, Nineveh was ripe for awakening, but no one knew it. Jonah didn't know it, Nineveh didn't know it, but God knew it. I don't think there was anything outwardly promising about Nineveh as a likely place for a mighty spiritual awakening. From the outside, it appeared to be a city wholly given over to paganism. But God had been working behind the scenes, preparing the people for this very moment. Let's notice here in verses 5 to 9 what happened when Jonah preached. Well, it says in verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. It doesn't say that they believed Jonah, though that was also true. It just says they believed God, thus revealing the genuine nature of their faith. Unless we doubt this, consider the last half of verse 5. It says a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. So the king stood up, that's a sign of serious intent. He removed his royal robes, that's a sign of humility, covered himself with sackcloth, that's a sign of mourning, and sat in the dust, that's a sign of repentance. And he then sends out a call for a time of fasting and prayer because as he says in verse 9, who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. You see, the mighty king of Nineveh gets it. He knows they're guilty. He reckoned on the mercy of the Almighty God. He doesn't know for sure, but he thinks God may yet have mercy on Nineveh. And though I'm sure he'd probably never heard these words, it's almost as if he had memorized Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7, where it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, 
and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. See, the king of Nineveh acts as if he's known that passage all of his life. And what follows is the greatest revival in history. And we're going to continue there next week. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion.